my great privilege to be able to be with you this evening. I'm very grateful for the, uh, the uh, invitation, for the opportunity. I appreciate the elders here extending that opportunity. I appreciate uh, Brother Tony's uh, faith in me and uh, enjoyed very much being able to eat with the Lawrences this afternoon and then to come back and spend a, well, a couple of hours, three hours, talking to Brother Tony. Enjoyed that opportunity. Uh, it's great to see the Chilton's again. Uh, the Chilton's a few years ago, we were in a meeting in Leone, and the Chilton's came up to hear us one night and invited us to breakfast the next morning. So I really got to enjoy that time with uh, the Chilton's, and Brother Chilton took me to old Philadelphia. Uh, let me see that old building. Uh, anyway, I have uh, very uh, fond memories of that and appreciate very much those friendships, and I'm sure that there are others among us uh, with whom I've had connections in the past, and I'm very grateful to have met many of you today. I appreciate the kind introduction uh, that was given. I, I was able to introduce Brother Tony a couple of years ago at the lectureship, and, and I think I, I enjoyed introducing him more than I enjoyed being introduced by him. It's hard to, <laughs> hard to live up to some of those things. I'm grateful. We're going to be talking tonight about having positive attitudes. Having positive attitudes. What was read for us just a moment ago, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, certainly speaks uh, to that idea. Uh, there we see the fruit singular of the Spirit. Now we understand that if you have fruit, you've got to have something else. You've got to have a plant or a tree, which means you've got to have roots. And so tonight, we're going to briefly introduce the need for this study. Then after we've introduced the need for this study, we're going to talk about the roots of these positive attitudes. Then we're going to notice the fruit of the positive attitudes, and then we're going to Notice the application. How can we put these things to work in our lives? I'd like for us to start understanding the need for this study. Now, I understand that uh, this study is in the greater context of the whole summer series. And all of these things help to uh, increase uh, our uh, desire to be faithful servants of God, to provide motivation for us. These things are designed to help us to leave these, uh, these services better than when we came. And it doesn't matter whether we've been Christians for a week and a half or whether we've been Christians for 40 or 50 years. We can take the things which we learn and we can apply them in our lives. We can leave better than we were when we walked through those doors. And indeed, if we are going to be the Christians, the growing Christians that we ought to be, then we ought to be striving to take every lesson that's presented and be better for having heard that lesson. But let's think specifically about attitude. How important is attitude in Scripture? Well, it's important enough that when we see worship being spoken of in John 4, attitude receives 50% of the attention. John 4.24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit, attitude, and in truth, action. 
Attitude is vitally important. I marvel when I'm teaching a Bible class at Independence or when I'm teaching from especially the epistles at the School of Preaching at how much focus there is on attitude. In fact, I dare say that really you could do this with the entire Bible, but the epistles are the church in action, if you will, uh, how the church is to live day by day. I think if you were to take uh, just the opportunity to thumb to any passage, especially in those epistles, you're not going to have to go more than about two or three verses before you notice attitude and the importance of it. If I were to ask this evening, what is the root of all evil? Some might say, well, money's the root of all evil. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says the attitude behind money is the root of all evil. If you love that money, if you make that money your God, then there's the root of all evil. Think about the problems which we have in the world around us right now. It's not hard to, uh, to think about what's going on. All we have to do is listen to the radio, watch the television, or if you're like me, the way you get your head, headlines is you just scroll to the left on your phone and that shows you what the, what the news is for the day. When I did that earlier, I saw about the uh, officers who were killed. appreciate certainly the prayer that was issued a few moments ago. Uh, that's a prayer that all of us need to be uh, praying for those families that are involved in things like this and for this world to recognize the evil that's in it. But I just slid over there and I saw three officers killed, three injured in Baton Rouge. There were uh, other stories over the last few days that would pop up. The... Uh, as Brother Tony mentioned in his adult class this morning, the coup attempt in Turkey. Uh, you will often see things which are taking place on uh, the local level. If you flip on your, your news channel, local news. The other night we saw that I-40 had been stopped for five or six hours uh, going across, uh, across the Mississippi River. There in Memphis. Well, that's, that's news. What's the root of the problem? Well, it, it's not just racism. It's not just an anger concerning police. Thinking about uh, what's taking place in our political world. It's not just homosexuality. It's not just not taking care of those who have nothing. It's the attitude behind all of those things. And if we could change attitudes, the actions would follow. Now the beautiful thing about the Word of God is that when we take it and we apply it, it has that ability to change the attitudes and to change the action. That's what Jesus is speaking of in Matthew 13. When he talks about those that have an ear hearing, unfortunately we live in a world where the vast majority do not have an ear to hear, or to put it in other terms, do not have a taste for truth. 
there are certain things that I don't like to eat. I don't have a taste for them. And so if I see them, I'll pick out something different. Well, that's the way that the world is with God's Word. The world sees God's Word over here, but you know I don't really have a taste for God's Word. So I'm going to have a little bit of Hollywood. I'm going to have a little bit of whatever political uh, slant I might have. I'm going to have a little bit of what's taking place in the neighborhood. I'm going to have a little bit of this and a little humanism thrown in. And I could care less about what's in God's Word. There's the problem. Because we have nothing to change the attitude without God's Word. There's the importance of the study this evening. Well, what are those roots? If we're going to have fruit, the fruit that was read about in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, then we need to have some roots and something needs to be providing the sustenance that's going to make the fruit be produced. I believe that there are probably innumerable roots, but I want to notice five of them. Number one, you have the root of obedience. We're not going to be able to produce fruit without following certain rules. Uh, I've got just a small number of tomatoes. I heard some brethren talking about their tomatoes this afternoon. Uh, I've got four plants, and so, so not many. I have enough for myself and my wife and uh, give a couple or three away every now and then. It's all we need. Well... Those tomato plants, in order for them to grow, I needed to plant them at the right time. I needed to plant them in a a soil which would uh, be right for them. I needed to uh, water them. Just follow some of the basic principles. Now, if I disobeyed any of those principles, I wouldn't have tomatoes. Well, the same thing is true if we're going to enjoy the fruit of this positive attitude, obedience. Philippians 1, 10 and 11, uh, uh, Titus 3, 14, that first passage, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Well, that's only going to take place if we're obedient. Titus 3, 14. And let our hours also be careful, or learn rather, to maintain good works for necessary uses. Why? That they be not unfruitful. Another of these is service. In our day and age, we don't want to serve. We want to be served. A few years ago, Good Housekeeping had a uh, an issue that was searching for uh, marriages which had lasted a long time and gave some of the secrets to those messages, uh, to those marriages. One of those said something along this line. I'm paraphrasing, but this is the gist of the idea. We served when we wanted to be served. A service. Bending down and doing what it takes to make somebody else have an easier load, to ease somebody else's burden, service. Colossians 1.10, 
that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We're going to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. What does the good servant do? What does the good steward do? He pleases his master. Service is going to have to be a part of this which is going to promote these attitudes that bear fruit. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. It's interesting where Ephesians 2.10 falls in Scripture. It falls after Ephesians 2.8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Uh, We have many people that talk to us about grace-only saving, faith-only saving. You don't have to do works. Well, Ephesians 2.10 right there says we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That is, that's what we need to be doing. It is toward or unto these good works. Notice which the antecedent of which is the works God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In what? In works. That's service. But our generation wants to be served. We want for people to bring us our food. We want for people to uh, bag our groceries. We want for people to bring us our mail. We ought to be serving. A third of these uh, roots is the root of zeal. Romans 10.1 Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. There is an attitude of Paul that is zealous. It's zealous for the salvation of a people who rejected Jesus Christ. But it's, it's a zeal which is going to motivate him to strive to preach the gospel wherever he can. He's going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. But where did he start? He would start in the Jewish areas of the communities. He would strive to win his countrymen. In fact, because of his zeal, he even said, I would myself be cast away if it would mean that you would be saved. Well, that zeal, the word zeal carries with it an inherent idea of warmth or heat. You have to get hot about this. You have to get excited about it. That's zeal. So Paul would say in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He had a zeal that would ultimately produce fruit. The fourth of these roots that we're going to consider this evening is patience. Luke eight fifteen, but that on the good ground are they which in honest and good heart, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. You know, we sometimes forget this aspect uh, of these roots. We'll tell somebody, hey, we're having a gospel meeting this week. And they may say, well, appreciate the invitation. I might come. And they don't come. And we think, well, that person's not interested in the gospel. Well, do we ask them again the next time? What about five years from now? You see, five years from now, they may be at a place in their lives where they say, you know, I do want to come and hear the gospel. 
We all know uh, examples, and I'm sure there are examples in this room this evening, of people who put, up, put off being converted for 5 years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, or perhaps more, but ultimately were won by the gospel. Our patience sometimes limits our effectiveness because we give up on people before we've given an adequate opportunity for the uh, seed to be planted and watered. James 5, 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren. Now the patience here is unto the coming of the Lord. But then the illustration is of the planter, uh, the farmer, an illustration which many here can certainly appreciate from a first-hand basis. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receiveth the early and latter rains. I love cherry tomatoes. The day I planted the tomato plants, I could already taste those cherry tomatoes, but I couldn't eat them yet. It was going to be a long time before I could begin to enjoy the fruit of that which was planted. Well, that idea of patience ought to be a part of the Christian's life in general. And then the fifth of these roots that we want to consider before we get to that fruit is the root of humility. I think that the real foundation for the proper Christian attitude is humility. Now, we're going to have to humble ourselves with respect to God. We're going to have to humble ourselves with respect to our families. We're going to have to humble ourselves with respect to our friends. Now, ones will say, of course, no doubt whatsoever, we need to humble ourselves with respect to these. But if we really follow Scripture and if we're having the attitude that we ought to have, we're even going to humble ourselves before our enemies. Why? Because that's what's going to produce fruit. We've talked about the attitudes, these roots. I want to consider going now back to Galatians 5, 22 and 23, this fruit. And y'all go till uh, 8.30, is that right, Brother Tony? <laughs> this is a passage that we could, we could really uh, make numerous sermons j- just from this passage, but I want us to hurriedly go through. I'm going to give you some passages I would encourage you, if you're taking notes, jot these down, or if you uh, don't mind writing in the margin of your Bibles, uh, write some of these references down and take an opportunity later to consider them. We're not going to have enough time this evening if we want to be able to note our third point. Let's consider the fruit. There are numerous ways that Galatians 5, 22 and 23 are translated The translations are going to change some of the terms. For instance, the King James says love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. The New King James says love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The American Standard, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. The English Standard says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It may be that 
you sing the fruit of the Spirit sometime with the young people. Uh, we sing it at Independence during our pew packer classes and, of course, vacation Bible school and in the younger children's classes. And that's the actual one that those words that we sing come from. But all of those are going to have the same elements. The translations will be just a little bit different as the uh, respective committees or others who translated tried to seek what they thought were the most precise words for the uh, meaning. We understand from James three seventeen and 18, before we get into the fruit itself, that we need to uh, have a wisdom that is from above. This wisdom is going to be easy to be entreated. It's going to be peaceable, gentle. It's going to, first of all, be pure. But it's going to be full of mercy and good fruits. Okay, the wisdom from above is going to be full of mercy and good fruits. The wisdom from below isn't full of mercy and good fruits. It's full of headlines about people killing each other. It's full of headlines about people mistreating each other. It's full of headlines that the Christian dreads to see. But this wisdom from above is going to be full of mercy and good fruits. But we see in the next verse, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. We're reminded, we don't have time to get to Matthew 5, but Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So, so there's an emphasis on this fruit. Well, what's the fruit according to Galatians 5, and 23? And you'll notice fruit is, as we mentioned earlier, singular. All of these different pieces compose the one fruit, which means if I'm lacking in one of these areas, I'm not really being fruitful. I've got a long way to go. The first one that's mentioned is love. This is agape. This is affection or benevolence. This is goodwill. It expresses, according to Vincent, a deep, quiet, appropriating, natural love. You read 1 Corinthians 13 and you see the beauty of love, the importance of love, the humility associated with love, a love that's going to be able to bear all things, a love that's going to be able to not be suspicious a love that is going to be lasting. And we're familiar with the part of that passage that says now about these three things, faith, hope, and charity, or faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Well, love isn't the greatest because it's uh, more important than faith and hope. All of those things are equally important in that passage. But faith is going to end in sight. Hope is going to end in realization. Those things are going to take place when we on that last day see that for which we've been living. The faith and the hope will be accomplished, but love will continue. To be able to enjoy that love then, we need to be expressing that love now. We need to have that positive attitude bearing fruit in that way. Second, you'll see joy, karah. Joy is cheerfulness. Strong even says calm, delight. It is joy, it is rejoicing, it is gladness. It's the same idea as in Matthew 5 uh, with the Beatitudes. That blessedness is joy, not a temporal, uh, superficial happiness, 
but a deep abiding joy. Or as Gill said, joy in the good of others, of fellow creatures and fellow Christians, in their outward and inward prosperity, in their temporal, spiritual, and eternal good. Notice the selflessness which Gill associates with joy. Instead, in our day, when others have it good, we don't rejoice with them, we envy them. We want what they have. And if there's any way for us to take it from them, we do. Love, joy, peace. Peace, arene. Peace, prosperity, harmony. Or, as Vincent said, mutual peace. 1 Peter 3, 10 and 11. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Verse 11 ends. And remember, we made reference to James 3, 18. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Fruit of righteousness isn't going to be sown in peace of one who makes war. I'm speaking in spiritual terms. I'm not saying there's not a proper place for war because Scripture teaches us that there is. But those who are wanting just to cause a fight are not going to have a proper Christian attitude. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, or patience. This is moving impetuously, particularly as the air of wind, a violent motion or passion of the mind, uh, part of it, the, the latter part of that word is, is this moving, of, uh, moving impetuously. The first part of this compound word uh, it's macros and then thumos. The first part of that, macros, means long. We, we think about the word macro. Macro meaning large in, in our day. We think about micro, small, macro, large. So this is a long impetuousness. That sounds like a contradiction of terms. But this is the idea of when we could act rashly, Demonstrating forbearance. Demonstrating self-restraint. That would involve bearing with the frailties and provocations of others, according to Adam Clark, motivated by the fact that God has borne long with ours. Colossians 3, 12 and 13 speak of this long-suffering, especially verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. Gentleness is usefulness, or another way that Strong's defines it, moral excellence. rather. It is a usefulness which is serviceable. It's also translated in some of those uh, different translations, kindness. It is a gentleness, a kindness, which helps others. Well, we see that illustrated in 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 26. The servant of the Lord is going to not strive, going back to the idea of peace we talked about, but he's going to be gentle. He's going to be apt to teach. He's going to help others. He's going to be patient, giving an opportunity for others to grow. He's going to instruct those that oppose themselves. 
There's so much that could be said about that expression. I'll simply say that sometimes we can be our own worst enemies. The one who is gentle, who is kind, is going to help us to overcome being our own worst enemies. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Goodness is virtue or beneficence. Beneficence means good, goodwill. It is the idea uh, that we are striving actively to be good. Uh, Another word which would fit there would be benevolent. You'll hear sometimes the contrasting terms malevolent and benevolent. Well, the volent there has to do with the volition, what I desire to do. One who is benevolent desires to do bene, good. One who is malevolent desires to do that which is mal, bad, evil. One of the Disney villains is named Maleficent. That's her name. Bad, mal. Galatians 6, 9 and 10, As we therefore have opportunity, verse 10, let us do good unto all men, especially they who are of the household of faith. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, or as translated elsewhere, faithfulness, pistis. This word is a moral conviction. It means to win over, to persuade It is trustfulness according to Vincent. We talked about stewards earlier. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. Meekness or gentleness. We've seen this idea earlier in the list. This word has to do with specifically humility according to strong. Meekness, mildness, forbearance, according to the complete word study dictionary. It is indulgence. Well, let me finish the thought there because we think about indulgence as being a bad thing. It is indulgence toward the weak and erring. How often do we indulge ourselves, our own lusts, when the fruit of the Spirit indulges the other person, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Temperance also translated self-control. The word is from a, a Greek word, enkrateia, in meaning in, kratos meaning strength or might. Literally, it is strength or might which is within. We think about Jesus being meek. That's the idea of this temperance or self-control. He wasn't weak. He held his strength in. This would also be the idea associated with the, the derivation of the term continence. Somebody who is continent has control. Incontinent lacks self-control. That's this idea of temperance. Vincent put it in an interesting way. He said it was holding in hand the passions and desires. And that's an interesting thought. Passion 
we think about how easy it is to act on passion, and usually that's not something we contain. In fact, there are even crimes which are called crimes of passion. The judge understands, well, the reason he did that was because his wife cheated on him. That was a crime of passion. This word means those passions that it would be so easy to, to uh, uh, bring forth or even cast, we hold. Right, these are the fruit which are growing from the root that we see in the ground there. Now I realize that I've just about overstayed my welcome, but if you don't mind for just a, another handful of minutes, let's talk about how we apply this. Again, we don't have time really to fully develop each of these thoughts, but I would encourage you to jot some of these verses down and maybe take an opportunity later to glance at these. How do we apply having these positive attitudes? First of all, by exalting our God. Psalm 118, 28. I will praise thee, first part of the verse. I will exalt thee, second part of the verse. Psalm 145, 1. I will extol thee. Exodus 15, 2. He has become my salvation. He is my God. Middle part of that verse. Isaiah 25, 1 and 9. O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. Verse 1. There's number one in our applying these positive attitudes. But they don't stop with applying them toward our God. We need to apply them to others. First of all, to our families. We'll often remind the students that while they're at the school to uh, learn to be preachers, they don't need to allow that focus. They have to be in class six hours a day. They're supposed to study outside of class six hours a day. They don't need to let that take away from the responsibilities they have toward their wives, toward their children. How often do any number of us forget the importance of the ones who are living under our own roofs? Have you ever noticed that people are far more polite to strangers than they are to their own spouses? That's a terrible situation. We'll open the door for the stranger who's about to walk in. Then we'll walk through and let it shut behind us and our, wife doesn't, uh, our wives don't get in. Well, where's the, uh, where's the emphasis? Well, that attitude needs to extend toward loving my spouse. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. By the way, wives will be pleased to know they don't have to love their husbands. It says, husbands, love your wives. The, the wives just have to put up with the husbands. They, they don't have to love them. They've got to put up with them. No, no, we understand that there's a different role that's being spoken of, and so the language there fit, fits that. But the husband is spoken of as loving his wife because that follows the similitude of Christ loving his church. Husbands, have you done for your wife what Christ has done for his church? Have you given yourself for your wife? Well, that's an attitude that has to be applied. Then extending it to the children, we have to nurture and admonish our children. Ephesians 6, 4. Deuteronomy 4, 9. Deuteronomy 11, 19 through 21. These are things that Abraham did. They're things that we need to do. 
uh, things that Moses did, things that we need to do. Colossians 3.21 carries the same idea. What about in our workplaces? In our workplaces, we need to be obeying our superiors. Hebrews 13.17 speaks in spiritual terms, obey them that have the rule over you. But we see that same idea, especially in uh, the letters to Timothy and Titus. You're in the workplace. Even if you're being mistreated, you follow your responsibilities as if you're doing them for God Himself. You've got to apply these attitudes. What about edifying our brethren? The person sitting next to you needs you. The person sitting next to you may not make it to heaven if you're not there to encourage him. There are a lot of people that were here this morning that aren't here tonight. Did you know that right now you are not being encouraged by them? Which means that they're falling somewhat in that responsibility. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. We need to be where our brethren are. Romans 14, 19. Things wherewith one may edify another are things that we need to follow. Supporting the downtrodden, Romans 15, 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Encouraging the discouraged, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, those that are walking out of line. Uh, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. We need to apply these attitudes in our lives. Having positive attitudes isn't just being able to sing the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's having those roots that are going to produce the fruit and then applying those things in our lives. What's the first thing that we need to do if we want to be able to apply our Christianity? We need to be Christians. Maybe the case that you're here this evening, you're not a child of God. You can be added to the Lord's church tonight through hearing what the Bible says and believing it, building faith upon God's Word. But I want you to understand that belief or faith is not the end of the process. Hebrews 11 demonstrates that faith is a motivator. In fact, throughout that chapter, which is called the Great Faith Chapter, you see a formula that's something like this. By faith, insert name here, did something and received the reward. That's not just the Great Faith Chapter. It's the Great Obedience Chapter because faith is a motivator. It motivates us to repent of our sins. If we don't want to change our lives, we're not going to be able to be pleasing to our God because our lives are in contradistinction to His very nature. So we have to repent of those sins. We have to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the same way that the eunuch did, the same way that Peter had when Jesus asked him to men say that I am, and then who do ye say that I am? And then we have to be baptized. Why do we have to be baptized? Because we have sins that separate us from God. And those sins have to be somehow taken away. If I have a white shirt that has a stain on it, I can't just believe that that stain's going to be gone and it be gone. In fact, if I'm going to 
cleanse it correctly, I can't even put it in water and just pull it back out and that stain be gone. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have my shirt and I'm going to have my water, my washing machine, and I'm going to believe that when I put that shirt in the washing machine, it's going to have the capability of being clean. If I don't believe that, I'm not going to put it in the washing machine to begin with, but I'm going to put a cleaning agent in there. Revelation 1.5 tells us that the cleaning agent is the blood of Christ. Acts 22.16 tells us that cleaning agent is met in baptism because that's where we wash away our sins. That's why it's important. And that's why it's preached every Sunday and Wednesday from this pulpit. Maybe the case that you're here and you've not been demonstrating that Christianity. The fruit hasn't been there because the attitude hasn't had the roots that it ought. Tonight you can be restored through repentance, confession, and prayer. Tonight, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, if you need to have these attitudes begin in your life or be resumed in your life, won't you come tonight as together we stand and sing?